0: Some of you have read books by Andrew Murray, South African, uh, for... Welcome back. Good to see you, Debbie. South African. Andrew Murray that we know of, that wrote the books, was the son of Andrew Murray Sr. And for 36 years, Andrew Murray Sr. prayed for revival in the Church of South Africa. He prayed every Friday... He prayed for the renewing of the Holy Spirit's work in the church. 36 years, and then it came. 1860. He was working with his son in a local church, Andrew Murray Jr., and when it came, they were taken unawares because it didn't look like what they expected. The move and the work of God didn't look like what they wanted it or expected it to look like. A biographer relates it like this. Farm workers fell to the ground and cried out for mercy. So greatly was the presence of God felt in the room. At first, the Murrays were shocked at the emotionalism and apparent disorder as the younger Murray sought to take control of a prayer meeting where people were experiencing agonies of conviction of sin. That's always part of revival, conviction of sin. A stranger, we don't know who this was, touched Dr. Murray and warned him, be careful what you do, for it is the Spirit of God that is at work here. So only then, the biographer says, with this encouragement from God, was he able to take satisfaction, pleasure, in the work of God as it came. Part of Christmas season, which we are in, part of Christmas season, is taking in the deep pleasure of satisfaction of waiting. Satisfaction after waiting but also the satisfaction of waiting. Uh, It's a a terrible thing that we do in America. Uh, We we, uh, put all this longing for a day, and we put all the weight of the longing on a single day. Uh, We we ought not do that. Uh, it's, It's more than a day can bear. Any day, it's more than a body can bear. So don't do it. Christmas Eve... That celebration, that was a kickoff celebration. And so now we celebrate the Christmas season. It's 12 days. We're in it. So what I'm encouraging you to do uh, is draw out the joy of remembering Christ's coming. Draw out the joy of the wonder of it. Let the satisfaction give further confidence to the reality of His return. Drinking deeply of the remembrance, it encourages us to look with expectancy, to be open for what He does. Be satisfied. Let the satisfaction sink in. In the Scripture today, we have two models of satisfaction after waiting. That's what we're going to look at. Hannah, in 1 Samuel, and Simeon. Each one reveals something about this longing and satisfaction. Hannah, you, you heard the story, read in our scripture this morning, Hannah longed, she pleaded for a son. And then being given this son, she devoted him fully for the service of the Lord. That son, Samuel, serves as a type of Christ. He's a Christ figure. He's a prefiguration of the Christ. So like the Messiah will be, at that time it was looking forward, like the Christ will be. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he guides Israel until they reject the Lord's rule through Samuel and they call for a king instead. So Samuel is this type looking forward to the Christ and then Simeon Longs for, and he's waiting for the fulfillment of that type. He's waiting for the Lord's Christ. Because, we're told, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We don't know how that was communicated to him. He had certainty, though, that he would see the Lord's Christ. So let's begin with Simeon here. Verse 25, this is Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We are told Simeon was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, or it rested upon him. There's a couple things indicated here. This is prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. When the Scripture, at this time, when the the Scripture says the Holy Spirit would be upon a person, it would rest upon a person. So it meant that God would come to a person, settle on him or her, speak to him, guide him, fill him with prophetic sight, fill him with prophetic utterance, but it was a resting. Uh, They weren't indwelt. That was to come. They were cloaked. And... We see this here. It was contingent upon obedience to the Scripture. Obedience to the Spirit. Otherwise, the Spirit departs. That's what happened with King Saul. The Spirit rested on King Saul until he was disobedient, and then it departed from him. So verse 25 tells us, this is important, it tells us that Simeon was cloaked with the Holy Spirit, And secondly, he was obedient to the Spirit. He was righteous and devout. He was submitted to this Spirit of God. Moreover, this righteousness, this devoutness, it took a particular form. That is, his obedience was expressed in a very particular way and the text shows us that here, There's, uses a dependent clause. Dependent clause shows that this thing, that this devoutness, uh, was, it was expressed in a particular way. Here, this man was righteous and devout. How? Looking for the consolation of Israel. How did he express his righteousness and devoutness? By looking for the consolation of Israel. Then verse 26, because it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, Simeon waited. That's his devoutness. That's his righteousness. He waited. Not very exciting, is it? Waiting? He waited long, long years. How long, we don't know. But we do know that the Lord regarded him as righteous. Not primarily because of works of the law that he was doing. Not because he was a great giver of alms. Or that he sang really well. Those things are not mentioned. Maybe that was part of it. But he is explicitly said to be righteous because he believed what God had said. That's how it was expressed. He believed God. God had told him, the word tells us, God had told him he would see the Christ. So he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Something else similar occurs with Hannah. 1 Samuel 1.18. She received Eli's pronounced blessing. Right, she, There's this moment, she's weeping by the, the door of the house of the Lord, the, the Tabernacle and Eli thinks she's drunk. Um, She must have been very distraught that that he would take her in that way. Uh, And they have a conversation, and he ends up blessing her and saying, May the Lord grant your request. And believing that, she what did she believe? She believed the blessing. She believed the blessing. This is is just a, a side note. When someone blesses you, that may happen in a communion line. It may happen in a prayer time. It may happen in a small group. When someone blesses you with the favor of the Lord, that is an offer. That is a legitimate offer. God holds out his favor because he always favors. He always gives grace. He holds out his favor. It's offered to you to receive that. If you will believe it. If you will receive it. That's where faith kicks in. Do I receive the blessing of God's favor in this prayer? You can shut your heart to it. Hannah believed it. Eli pronounced blessing. She received it. How do we know? She went and ate. The grief, gone. She goes and she ate Her countenance was no longer sad. Both Simeon and Hannah, they waited in peace. They had peace. Waiting for the fulfillment of the Lord's word because they trusted. They trusted implicitly that God will do what He says He will do. When He says He's going to do something, He will do it when He says He will forgive us our sins, when we turn to Him and we offer ourselves to Him, He will do it. That promise is always held out. They trusted that He'll do what He said He will do. They share They share the faith of David. In Psalm 27, he said, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. I believe I will see it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Yes. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver. So we, we look to Hannah and Simeon today. Here we are during the Christmas season. Because, like, why are we considering them? Because they experienced the satisfaction of hope. They received what had been promised. Hannah's child, Samuel, he was born within the year. The Lord led Simeon that day, he led him to the temple in Jerusalem. On the day that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to be circumcised, the day of his dedication, that's eight days after his birth, that was the custom. On the eighth day, Simeon was there. It seems that the Holy Spirit led Simeon right to Jesus. So verse 28, Simeon sees the child and he knows. He took him in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, according to what you said. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. That's remarkable, isn't it? In a big temple complex, thousands of people moving about. There are children brought to the temple every day. But on that day, he saw and he knew. And he took the child and he blessed him. Having waited long, long in hope, Simeon receives the promise. And then this thing happens. He receives the promise. He knows he's received the promise. And his satisfaction then It's it's accompanied and it's confirmed by this filling of the Spirit that issues in prophetic speech. Simeon prophesies here. So what I'm saying is, not only does his soul know that this is the Christ and that he has that satisfaction, he knows it too because he finds himself speaking in the power of the Spirit. He finds himself prophesying. So at the same time that he's taking joy in the fulfillment, he's also caught up in the work of the Lord. And what a gift. He knows it. What a gift. It's not... I, I hope I'm communicating here. It's not just that he's got something. It's that he's giving something and he knows the giving of it is part of the work of the Lord. There are That is one of the highest gifts that we can receive, to have knowledge, consciousness, that what we are doing is part of the Lord's work. And especially, this runs throughout the Scripture, especially when it's hard. There's no greater gift than that. It's a special gift. It's for the sufferer. I don't know if some of you are suffering today. Very likely. In some way, many of you are suffering. How much is that sweetened, enriched, to know that that suffering is part of something that the Lord is doing around you, through you, in you, and for you, and for others? What a gift. Well, the exact same thing happens to Hannah, all she wanted, we we read between the lines, what she wanted was to offer a child to the kingdom of God, that that she might be one, she might be a mother in Israel. This is not about primarily having a child for herself, um, demonstrating worth. Um, but that she might contribute to the kingdom of Israel. How do we know that? By what she immediately does, vows to offer the child to the service of the Lord. It's not that she wants the child for herself. Even before Samuel's conceived, she vows to give him to the Lord, to the service of the temple. That shows this what did she desire? And so she brings the promised child to the tabernacle to give him to the Lord. And this, the thing that happened with Simeon much later, it happens with her. She bursts into prophetic speech. In her joy, she joins the Lord even more deeply by becoming his mouthpiece. Her joy begets more joy. This is remarkable to me. I love this about our place in the kingdom of God. I hope hope this is something you, if you have not experienced, you will. There's There's this paradox that's involved in being part of God's kingdom work. So many paradoxes in his kingdom. When there's something that we want for ourselves... And we want it because we want it for ourselves. The getting it brings momentary exhilaration, but quick emptiness. We see this in Christmas every year. So no sooner that we have it than we realize, this thing that I thought I wanted, it doesn't satisfy. Yes, every Christmas, it's, this is remarkably illustrated. And I pray the Lord draws you away from this habit, if it's part of your habit. So to the degree that Christmas, uh, that is a function of our own desires, that even the celebration of Christmas is uh, something like a a collection of desired images, uh, a set of nostalgic feelings that we try to regenerate every year, a set of emotions, meaningful moments, planned reenactments, A drama that we've written for ourselves, drama for our family. You know it will spoil on you if it doesn't happen exactly like you desired. That reveals the nature of it. If it doesn't come as we wanted, it spoils, it's tainted. Where did that come from? I think that came from our flesh because that's what spoils May the Lord lead you away from this. Uh, And then, but, sometimes even more disappointing, if we do get it just as we imagined, just as we hoped, its passing is a tremendous letdown. And so, St. Stephen's Day, the Feast of Stephen, the 26th, is consistently this enormous letdown across the world especially in America. We got the thing. Uh, We got the thing. The opposite is true. This is the paradox for the Christian. When we long for something and we desire something, for the sake of God's honor, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of what he's doing in the world and for hope of our participation in it, when our affection is trained on him, joining him in whatever he chooses to do, and that's what we want, looking for his work, leaping at a chance to be involved, wherever we see evidence of his working. Then this thing happens that we see with Hannah and Simeon. We move from hope and anticipation to joy. Not let down. Hope and anticipation brings joy and joy begets more joy because it's not dependent on our emotions. It's not dependent on us. So there's no emotional letdown. So in fact, regardless of whether our emotions are up or their emotions are down, we can still see his work and we can enter in. There's an element that we also see with Hannah and Simeon. And I think this is a key to our our ability to draw from joy, from the reservoirs of joy that are ours. It's thanksgiving. It's thanks. They have the satisfaction. When they begin to give thanks to God for what he's done, that's what issues out then in joy. So... If you, are, if you found, you stumbled into what I just warned you against. If you found, you, you did that. Turn to thanks. If you are in the, the troughs of letdown, thanks. Thank the Lord for what He has done in the last year. Thank the Lord that you, your life is preserved. Thank Him for the gifts that He has given you. And, and it may only be breath. And salvation. But thanks, that's what gives you access to joy. And as you are verbalizing, and please do verbalize your thanks, you'll find that thanks is compounding to joy. So I want to encourage you, continue to celebrate the Christmas season. Let the satisfaction of it settle in. God joined Himself to humankind. He did it. There's nothing more important than Him doing that because once He chose to join Himself to us, He was bound to save us. Once He committed to becoming us, it was inevitable that He would save us. So the incarnation demands the cross and the resurrection. We know, we know there's no cross without the manger. You can't get to the cross without the manger. But there's also no manger unless there's a cross attached to it. So take pleasure in this contemplation. Think on it. Carve out space to rest in it and continue to celebrate Christmas. Second, let's consider how to find ongoing, deepening satisfaction in our own waiting. Hannah waited, Simeon waited, we are waiting. We're waiting for the fulfillment of the Lord's word to us. They were reckoned as righteous because they put their faith in the Lord's word. They believed what he had said. And that's for us as well. We express our faith by believing what he said. Our word from Colossians as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that means as part of his kingdom, here is your waiting. Put on compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbear one another. That means put up with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive each other. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And... Be thankful. So now, that all of that might come about, that we might be able to relate in those ways and live in that way and have the peace of Christ ruling in us, that we might do that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the door. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How giving thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This passage, it's so it beautifully captures the spiritual posture that we we must adopt. It's not just the posture of Christmas. It is. With a firm identity in Christ Jesus. We do this. It's as his chosen ones. Knowing we're holy. Knowing we're beloved. Deeply conscious. The Lord has forgiven us. Then we can have grace. So we are. The the necessary inward posture for waiting it's thankfulness to God and receiving goodness from God. We're to let, we're to allow the peace of Christ to rule in us. And we do that by letting his word pour continually into us. Um, on the entry table, there is a calendar of what Scripture Union, it's a British, uh, British student organization, uh, put together the 100 passages most essential for a Christian to know. It's great. There's a, there's a calendar of readings. You can check off these uh, 100 passages. If you find yourself struggling with, what do I read? Here's 100 passages. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart. How do I come there? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that is a tool. There's one for everyone. If they run out, there's more under the desk. Part of why we do this, this openness and rest in the truth, It allows us to know when he's at work. When we've trained, we've we've learned to hear the voice of Jesus. What does he sound like? So that we'll join him in his work. How did Simeon know? To the temple with you today. How did he know that boy there, that is my son, that is the Christ. He knew the voice of God. If we are to join this year in 2024, if we are to join the Lord in his work, if we are to have the pleasure, that unique pleasure of participation, we have to know his voice. How do we know his voice? His word. And almost incidentally, almost, it's subtle, but ever increasing, we will also have his outlook. We'll have his heart shaped in us towards others. As his word dwells in us, it shapes how we think and see. His peace renders us peaceful. Show me a peaceful Christian, and I will show you one who rests in the word continually. Because the Lord's passions become our passions. His character becomes our character. And then, back to paradox, and I finish with this, not seeking satisfaction for ourselves or for its own sake, but seeking simply to know God and to obey God, seeking Him for His own sake. We find ourselves satisfied. We find ourselves satisfied in waiting. Never satiated, but satisfied. Wanting, we want more and more to know God. Want more and more God's honor, God's glory to spread further. And so we find ourselves invited increasingly to participate in His work. May it be. Father in heaven, may it be. This year, beginning today, Would You give us hearts to know and seek Your face? Hearts to long to know You, long to be used for Your kingdom. Lord, elevate our desires to the highest good, to You. Would You put the lesser goods in their proper place? Lord, let Your Word dwell in us richly and bring order to our lives. In Jesus' name.